Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you are visiting with us, again, we welcome you. It does encourage us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. It is exciting to see the sign already posted that construction uh, will be done by Solomon Builders, and it's great to see a construction entrance. Soon we'll see uh, the fences put up for construction equipment to be placed there. And uh, it's exciting to be a part of the Lord's work at any time, especially as we see signs of growth tends to give us a little bit more encouragement. And let's all continue to do our part. If you're visiting with us, we'd like for you to come back. We'd like for you to be a part of this congregation. We have a Get Connected class that will meet just after this service in our Bible class time. We'd invite you to any of our Bible classes. There's one that is especially geared for visitors. And let's make sure that if we're members that we're greeting those visitors and that we're inviting others. And let's do everything we can do to bring people into a closer relationship with God. Isn't it wonderful and fascinating to think of all the ways that God could have come to this earth. He chose to come to this earth through the body of a baby. When we look at beautiful babies, we can't help but smile. We realize Psalms 127 tells us that children are a gift from God. But yet as we think about these babies, we also think about something that in the last 10 to 15 years has become a great concern among many, and apparently it is a growing concern. And it is the concern for babies that are abandoned, usually not intentionally. It's unintentionally as they are abandoned in vehicles, and they are forgotten in the summer heat in a matter of an hour or less, the baby oftentimes dies. Kids in Cars is an organization that tries to promote the safety of babies, reminding parents to not forget their child. Uh, this clip that you'll see here, it begins with the gentleman receiving a phone call from his wife. And she gives the simple uh, question, hey, the daycare called and asked where Joshua is. Where is he? And then the rest of the video is, plays out as you would expect it to play out in this video that promotes the safety of children. You see, this has happened already in 2008, 42 times in America. Last year, it happened 35 times. In the last 10 years, it's happened an average of 37 times a year. Now what's interesting and sad about this is that when studies were done in 90, 91, and 92 for those three-year period of time, there was only 11 deaths. But then when you study like 2004, 5, and 6, there was 10 times that number of deaths. Why? Because of airbags. Airbags have encouraged and even made it the law that babies have to be moved to the back seat. And as sad as that is, oftentimes when the baby is behind us, we fail to remember that baby when exiting the car. What a lot of individuals do not realize is that a car will heat up in 10 minutes' time, almost 20 degrees. And in an hour's time, on an average summer day, a car will increase its temperature to 50 degrees. 107 degrees is... For a body, core body temperature is lethal. Children's body heat increases three to five times faster than adults. And so it's a horrible combination. 
Over 50% of the children that die in cars, it's by parents or caretakers that unintentionally forgot them. About 30% of the babies die because they enter the car on their own and close the door and trap themselves there. The point is this. It's very obvious. It would be a very heartbreaking experience to receive that phone call that would remind you that you have forgotten your child. When I think about that, I also think about an article that James Hayes, a preacher in Jolton in the Bethel congregation in Jolton, he wrote an article that's entitled what we entitled the sermon today, Don't Leave Jesus in the Manger. You know what really is a greater struggle in many individuals' lives than leaving their baby is leaving Jesus out of their life. And it's really a greater disaster. We're at a time where, as already mentioned in the prayer, the outside world, the the broad community of religious believers, but even many who are not really religious, they think about Jesus this time of year. Perhaps they even dress up and they go to church on a Sunday that's closest to the Christmas day. They may go during the week to a church to a Christmas pageant. They may even say a few good things of thanksgiving about Jesus this time of year. But here's the question. What happens on December 26th? Is Jesus packed up? You know, left there in the manger in the nativity scene, but just paper is packaged around him. He's placed back in the cardboard box, and that cardboard box is placed back in the attic, and Jesus is put away for another year. I want to encourage you to think about one of the most beautiful and tender stories that's ever told is the story of Jesus coming to this earth. We're not belittling that story this morning. We're saying that that story ought to mean so much to us that we live in view of that story every day of our life. When we think about an angel coming to Mary and, and telling her that she's going to give birth to a child and, and, and she declares that she hasn't known a man and yet she's told that the one that she would conceive would be of the Holy Spirit and that He would be the Son of God and that His name would be Jesus. She then went and spent the next three months with her cousin Elizabeth. When she came back home, Joseph was in a dilemma. What was he going to do in this difficult situation? There seemed to be proof that his wife had been unfaithful. Matthew, the first chapter, tells us that an angel came and explained the situation to him. Explained the fact that she had conceived, but it was by the Holy Spirit. And the child that she would give birth was fulfilling the prophecy that a virgin would give birth. And that they would name him Emmanuel which means God with us. And then the text that was read this morning. As it was capably read, you notice there that Caesar Augustus, he gave a decree that all should go and register in their hometowns. So this young couple, because now Joseph is committed to staying with Mary, to becoming the husband, to being a father-type figure of Jesus, 
he takes his wife and he travels from Galilee, Nazareth is the little town, all the way down to Judea, to Bethlehem. And there, there's not room in an inn. And so they find a place to bed down. And the baby doesn't wait. The baby is born. Ah, oh, doesn't that bring a smile? To see a newborn baby wrapped in swaddling cloth. Where are we going to lay this baby? Here, we can prepare this manger. Let's put this baby in a manger. What a beautiful and precious sight. It was only appropriate that his birth would be announced. An angel would do it. Not to kings, not to people of great wealth. The angel would go out to the shepherds. And the radiance of the angel would be so bright that the shepherds were greatly afraid. And the angel gave the news to the shepherds saying, and if you want to read along just beyond the text that was read, look there, or still a part of the text and then beyond, look in verse 10 of Luke the second chapter. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Notice this line. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloth, lying in a manger. And then suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts that joined in with the angel. And, and there was praise said to God. And it said this, and they said this, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill to all men. When the angel and the heavenly host had disappeared from the presence of the shepherds. The shepherds went to each other and said, let's go find what they spoke of. And they went and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby in swaddling cloth. They knew that their Savior was lying before them. And when they left there, they not only went and widely told what they had seen, but the scripture says they told what they had been told. They told others about the King the Savior of the world that had been born. Now, eight days later, Jesus would be circumcised. Forty days later, He would be taken into Jerusalem and into the temple would be the act of purification. This was to obey the law of Moses. At this time, the parents would bring a pigeon and a lamb unless... They were poor. If they did not have means, they could exchange the lamb for another pigeon. And that's what Mary and Joseph had to do. The king was born into such a humble home that they couldn't afford a lamb for the sacrifice, for the offering. But it had to be another pigeon. And then... They were able there in Bethlehem to find a house. And there they lived. And if you look in Matthew, the second chapter in verse 11, this would have happened probably within about six months, maybe even up the most to two years after his birth. In Matthew, the second chapter in verse 11, when they had come to the house, and this is talking about the wise men following the star, when they had come to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And they had opened their treasures. They presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
Now this is interesting when you think about so many months later, while they were settled in a house, the wise men come and they want to see Jesus. Now friends, if I were to ask you to tell me what makes up the, quote, traditional nativity scene, I wonder how many of us would easily be able to say three wise men. Three wise men make up the traditional nativity scene. Now, the statement that you see on the screen at this time, three kings visited Jesus the night he was born, actually has three things that are false about that one statement. Please get this. We struggle with our celebration as a religious community abroad. We struggle in that we want to continually leave Jesus in the manger. Jesus wasn't in the manger when the wise men came from a far distance. He was already out of that manger. And we struggle even today. We struggle today in many ways of how neat and clean we can make it when we keep Jesus in the manger. And just after the holiday seasons, we'll pack Him back up and we'll put Him away. We've been looking this year as a congregation of reading through the Scriptures. And so as we think about leaving Jesus in the wrong places, I would just like to spend just a few moments with you as we just scan some various passages. And if you want to go ahead and and turn, be looking, if you will, to John the 5th chapter. And as I say, we won't be able to develop heavily any of these, but I want you to see one of the things that Jesus tried to get us to see. One of the great mistakes that we make in leaving Jesus out is as strange as this may sound, is sometimes we leave Jesus out when we're reading the Scriptures. Do you realize that the Bible is one book? It is made up of two covenants, but it's one book, and the central theme of this book is for us to know Jesus, our Savior. And even while Jesus was on this earth, Jesus continually tried to get people to look to the Old Testament to see Him. And what He found was that He found many, many people that knew the Scriptures, they knew what they said, but they couldn't find Jesus. And here's an example where earlier in this passage that you have there on your screen, back in verse 18, Jesus stood before them and he had declared that God was his father, making himself equal with God. And these individuals, the scribes and Pharisees, just couldn't bear the thought that Jesus would say that he was equal with God. And so beginning in verse 31, he tells the various witnesses that testify the fact that he is equal, he is God. And now as we read, notice in verse 38, But you do not have His Word abiding in you, because whom He sent, Him you do not believe. Notice this, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think that you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of Me. But you are not willing to come to Me that you may have life. You see what He's saying? The Scriptures they had at this time, when Jesus was saying this, the only Scriptures they had was the Old Testament. Jesus was saying to a group of people, you know the Old Testament very well, but you have a problem. You don't really know the Old Testament because if you knew the Old Testament for what it's teaching, it's teaching that a Messiah is coming. Friend, the application for you and I today, it's not how well do I know the Scriptures. It's how well do I see Jesus in the Scriptures and bring Him into life and into my life. 
When we look at what Jesus said, if you will, go to Luke, the 24th chapter. After His resurrection, He was talking to a group of, or to two men at this point of individuals that had given up on the fact that there would be a resurrected Lord. And Luke, the 24th chapter, notice what He says to them in 25. In other words, how are they going to know that there was a resurrected Lord? And Jesus said to them, this is Luke 24 and 25, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets, all the prophets have spoken. Ought not to Christ to have been suffered these things and to enter into His glory. Now notice what Jesus did in 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, He expounded them in all the Scripture, the things concerning Himself. Here are individuals that knew the Scriptures, but yet Jesus had to go back and show them the same Scriptures to say, Look, do you see me in the Scriptures? Did you see what Moses said? That's me. Did you see what the prophet said? That's me. Flip over a page in your Bible. Still the same chapter, Luke 24. And notice what he says in 44. Then he said to them, now this is when he's gathering with his apostles and disciples here. And notice what he says to them. Same kind of setting, just after the resurrection. Then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding. Notice that. He opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. Again, here were people that knew the Scriptures, but they couldn't see Jesus. And so Jesus says, look, let's sit down. I want to study these Scriptures with you again. I want to study with you again what Moses said because I want you to see me when you study Moses' writings. I want to study with you what the psalmist said because I want you to see me. I want to study with you what the prophet said because I want you to see me. Friends, the question that I must ask myself is when I study the Scriptures, do I see Jesus? I'm leaving Jesus out if I can't find Jesus in everything that I read. Look at John the 13th chapter and... And John the 13th chapter, we have, I'm sorry, John the 16th chapter. We have a powerful revelation that's given to us about what even the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, we hold this book in our hand. It's the most beautiful book that's ever been written. And we say this book was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Well, what was the Holy Spirit's intent in writing this book? Let's read this in 13 and 14. This is what Jesus said. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, that's talking about the Holy Spirit, has come, He'll guide you. He's talking to the apostles. He's going to guide you into all truth. For He will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you the things to come. Here we go. He will glorify Me, for He will take of what is Mine and declare to you. You see what Jesus said? The Spirit's going to come. But you know what the Spirit's going to do? He's going to teach you my truth. You know what the Spirit's going to do? The Spirit is going to glorify me in everything that He writes. We can't leave Jesus out. When we study the Scriptures, we can't leave Jesus out of our life. 1 Peter, 1 Peter the second chapter he gives us a challenge in 1 Peter 2. Look at verse 2 and 3. 1 Peter 2, 2 and 3. Peter tells us, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. When you study the Word, do you taste the graciousness of Jesus? 
When you study the stories and the prophecy, do you see the graciousness of Jesus? When you see all that Jesus offers you, do you see the graciousness of Jesus? As we conclude, I want you to think about this. Do we leave Jesus in the manger? And the terrible thing, if, if we leave Jesus in the manger, and let's go to the next slide. Notice as he, we see here, he lived a life. He didn't just stay in the manger. He grew. He went to Egypt. He went back up to Nazareth. He lived in Nazareth. He began a public ministry. He lived a life that is worthy of our focus. Hebrews 4 and 15 tells us he was tempted in all points like as we, yet without sin. We need to look at everything that Jesus did in his life and say, that's what I want to do in my life. We don't need to picture just a baby in a manger. We also need to see the fact that he died for us to redeem us. In Romans the third chapter in 24 and 25, we see that him dying on the cross was to buy us back But he didn't just stay in the grave. We know that he was resurrected. And it's that resurrection that gives us hope. Right here in the first chapter of 1 Peter, we see a beautiful writing where Peter says that he had hope again because of the resurrection of the Lord. How many times have we stood by graves and we felt like our heart's been ripped out? We look at life and we realize that it's brief and we say, what is the purpose? Friends, I tell you what the greatest purpose is. The greatest hope is that there's a resurrection. And Jesus says, I want you to see me. I want you to see the one who is the resurrection and can give you power over death to be resurrected. He also wants us to see him as the one who has ascended. And you remember before he died, was buried and resurrected and ascended, he taught us in John 14 that when he ascends, he's going to prepare a place for us and he's going to come again and receive us to ourselves. that where he is, there we may be also. You see, he's ascended to prepare a heaven, but he's coming, he's coming back for those that are willing to live for him. Look, if you will, To Galatians, the second chapter. Let's go one more passage forward. Galatians, the second chapter in verse 20. I need to ask myself, can I say this? This is what Paul could say. And I'm asking you, can you say this? Can we say, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. Friends, As beautiful as that story is, Christ is not in a manger. Christ is alive. He is to be our king. He is to be reigning in our life right now. Is that true? I'm not suggesting to you that I am too thorough, too good, that I would never forget my child. But I would suggest to you that that's got to be one of the worst feelings in the world. To come to that moment in time that you realized you had forgotten your child in the car. But I'd also suggest to you that there's going to be that moment in time where God comes again And it'll be something worse than forgetting a child if we have forgotten left Jesus in a manger. 
If it's the holiday season that's brought you here this morning, we're thankful for that. We really are. We just want to challenge all of us. What are we going to do the week after Christmas? What are we going to do in January? Jesus was never made for a season. Jesus is to be in our life for an eternity. Are you living for Him? Have you ever been baptized into Christ for the mission of sins? Have you come to Him and and fallen away and need to come back and pray forgiveness? If we can help you in any way, let's make sure that the Lord is the Lord of our life. If we can help you come as we stand, as we sing.